So last week I began by showing you a little bit of our home which was in the early stages of having its walls ripped off. But what I had forgotten was actually that evening after I had recorded my sermon was that the builder was coming around to just have a look at things, listen to our plans, let us know if they were possible and also to let us know how much of it we could do ourselves. And so I wished I'd waited to record my sermon a little bit later because things changed drastically after I had recorded my sermon. And so I thought I'd show you a little bit um, of that this morning, give you a little bit of an update. But first of all, I just want to show you this little video that I took the morning after the builder had been, which will give you quite an accurate update of how I was feeling about things when that happened. Oh, it's so good to wake up in the morning, be sitting in the lounge and see the sunlight streaming in through the walls. Hmm. So as you can see, things got a lot worse a lot quickly. Um, one thing in particular, did you notice in that video that massive pile of jib rubble that was sitting right in the walkway? I mean, that video, it only captured it in its infantile state even. That pile got a lot bigger and a lot messier very quickly. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever had building work done in your home, but the mess and the dust it creates. And I just, every time, I couldn't believe how far the dust was reaching or how big that pile of mess was growing. Everywhere I turned, it's like there's vacuuming to do. There's something that needs to be dusted, something that needs to be tidied up. But anyway, I wasn't that pleased by how the dust had taken over every single surface and item that was available to it. And so a little bit, a little bit of complaining went down. But then I was, I was very grateful that John and Wendy popped in one afternoon and on their way out they said, oh, are you sure you don't want a hand moving all of this jib here? I was very grateful for that. They carried everything out to the back of the ute and piled it up so we could take it to the dump the next day. And after that, the complaining subsided just a little bit. But even after the jib mess got cleaned up, there was still the issue of no walls or no jib on the walls at least. And I mean, as I'm sure you gathered from that great little video with the excellent narration, you know, I sat there in the morning and there was sunlight coming through the actual wall. Um, and if there was sunlight coming through, then that meant that also there was quite a bit of cold air coming through too. And I mean, don't be deceived by the pink bats you saw in this area of the wall here, because that was all of the insulation, I think, in the entire house. Um, just this area above the fireplace. And so I shared, you know, I shared my woes with my family saying, oh my goodness, we've got no walls, it's so cold. And my auntie said, oh Lucy, when we did up our first house, I lived with no walls for five years. The complaining definitely ramped up again then. I didn't want to live with no walls for five years. When would we get insulation and in? when would we get the walls back on and then plaster and paint? When would we have warmth again? What, what was going to be the timeline for this? And there was no timeline and I don't want to live with no walls for five years. I don't know if I can do that. 
I want to be warm and I want to see daylight only coming through the windows. I think I'd prefer that because they're designed for that purpose. So I was persistent with my complaining to say the least. Annoyingly enough, Josh, Josh knew all along what I had talked about in my sermon last Sunday though and he even knew what this sermon was going to be about for this week and so while I was complaining he would say to me now now Lucy just remind me what was it that you talked about in your sermon on Sunday what, what was it that you said and I would say oh, yes I talked about loyalty and yes, I may have mentioned us being loyal to this house, but I didn't know that I had to live with no walls or no timeline for this. And he would nod and say, oh yeah, that's right. And then just remind me again, what is it that you're speaking about this Sunday? And then I'd roll my eyes and I'd mutter as I walked away, perseverance. And Josh would say, oh, right it's quite unfair really but to give you an update one week on today from when i filmed my sermon last week i can show you that we do now have insulation in the walls and even a bit of builder's paper behind that as well so progress is being made and i am very pleased that the warmth is now being held in and we are that one step closer towards having full walls. And I have to admit that this little tale probably paints a fairly accurate picture of what I'm like with perseverance. I didn't even have to persevere with the rubble and the dust and the mess for very long, but in the middle of it, things were dire for me. I didn't know if I could make it through. I thought that I might have to live with that pile of rubble in an obstructed walkway for like the rest of my life. And so I complained and I sighed very deeply as you do every time I had to climb over it to get through. You could say that I definitely didn't persevere very well or at all graciously, that's for sure. And so this week I thought it might be best if we look to a bit of an expert on perseverance, someone who can demonstrate to us how to persevere well and persevere graciously. And so we're going to have another look at Nehemiah and to see the great determination and character that carried him through what would have been a very trying and a very frustrating situation. This morning we're going to be reading from Nehemiah 4 and it tells us about Nehemiah and his crew in the early stages of the rebuilding of the city walls. But unfortunately not everyone is all that happy about the rebuilding of the walls, namely those who live um, within the Judah area and the surrounding area, surrounding area. And so they come up with all sorts of ploys to oppose and to discourage the work that is being done. So I'm going to break the passage up as we go along this morning and highlight the how to persevere graciously nuggets that Nehemiah drops for us along the way. So let's just pray as we begin. Lord God, we thank you that we're gathered here this morning um, across the city, but together, God, with you. Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning? Would we hear your message come through these words that were written so many years ago? Lord, but are still so relevant for us today. Father, we thank you for your word 
and we thank you for the gift of being able to hear it and hear from it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start from Nehemiah 4, verse 1. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they ignore themselves. May, sorry, may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with great enthusiasm. So Sanballat and Tobiah, they lived near to Jerusalem, and they had done for some time. They had been there since well before the Jews returned from exile to reestablish themselves there. And as verse 1 tells us, they were very angry to hear that the progress was being made on the city walls. So these enemies of the Israelites start to oppose and attack the work that the Israelites are doing, and they decide to start with a bit of a mental battle. Sambalat begins by mocking the Jews, saying, What are these weak Jews thinking? What are they doing? Who are they kidding? They're never going to be able to build a wall from the rubbish that's there. And then Tobiah chimes in with what he probably thought was a really harsh burn, saying, your wall's so weak that even if a little fox walked on it, it would tumble down. Nice try, Tobiah. Because Nehemiah sees right through your lame stab at them. And he also sees the reason for your mockery, Sambalat. Sambalat and Tobiah are threatened. With the city of Jerusalem being reestablished, their authority and their influence over the surrounding area is threatened and their worldview, their way of doing things, is being challenged. So they lash out from fear, resorting to mockery and lies. Because that's all that it was, just lies. In years since, archaeologists have discovered that the walls that Nehemiah and his team rebuilt, they're nine feet thick. They certainly weren't going to be too affected by a little fox on them. But that was how their enemies opposed them. They attempted to get into their heads, to cause them to second-guess themselves, to make the Jews think that all of their hard work just wasn't worth it. But Nehemiah didn't want these silly lies and taunts to be the undoing of their hard work, so he jumped into action and he nipped that mental attack in the bud. And how did he do that? Nehemiah's first defense, his first retort, was to turn to God in prayer. Nehemiah calls out to God, asking, See us, God. Remember us, God. Hear us, God. Don't ignore what our enemies are doing to us. His prayer redirected the Israelites' focus. 
It diverted their mind from the pitiful attack that the enemy was launching against them and it placed their focus back onto God. They were here, back in their own land because God had delivered them from exile and they were now rebuilding their city walls and re-establishing their identity because God had called them to do so. Their efforts weren't simply to rile up their neighbours. Their efforts were to honour God. With prayer, the Israelites' focus was realigned and they could persevere with their work. And the next verse, verse 6, tells us that the people worked with enthusiasm and they rebuilt the city walls until half of their height. So lesson one in perseverance is draw close to God in prayer. Where God has called you, he will sustain you. So commit yourself to him and allow him to be your focus and he will draw you on each step of the way. So I'm going to continue reading now from verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to work on our wall. Sanballat and Tobiah, they receive word that their mind games haven't had the desired effect that they hoped they would. And rather than discouraging the Jews from working, in response, they've worked with even more enthusiasm, and now the walls are halfway done. Sanballat and Tobiah are not happy, and so they gather more of the surrounding tribes and begin to plot a stronger attack. But Nehemiah, he wasn't born yesterday, and he once again encourages the Jews to pray, to remember their God who has called them to this work, and they guard their city themselves as they go. But as they persevere, as they continue with their work, a new opposition starts to creep in, and it comes from inside. The workers are becoming fatigued. Rebuilding the city walls is a huge job and as progress is slow and the rubble piles remain high, they are beginning to get a little bit sick of it 
And can I just say, I really feel for them right now. But not only is their fatigue discouraging them, messages of doom were being rushed into the city over and over again by the Jews who lived out nearby, near to the enemies. And these messages caused anxiety to stir in the hearts of the workers. Maybe this wasn't going to be worth it. Maybe it just was never going to get done. Nehemiah, he saw the fatigue, the fear, the anxiety that was beginning to swallow up the hearts of his workers. And Nehemiah saw that he had to step in and encourage his team towards the enthusiastic perseverance that they showed previously. Nehemiah is proactive. And he puts in a physical defense of guards and weapons against what appears to still be a mental battle. He calls the leaders and workers together and encourages them, saying, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Once again, Nehemiah's proactive and decisive action points the people back to the reason that they are there and the physical defense that he gives them allows them to focus again on their reality their lord is great and glorious they don't need to be afraid of the enemy god is on their side the great and glorious god and as the as the and the israelites become re-energized and they see the enemy's plans frustrated and they're able to continue their work on the city walls. So lesson number two in perseverance is get ready and remember who is on your side. Where God has called you, he will sustain you. So no matter what, get ready to do the work that he has called you to and strengthen yourself against opposition by pressing into the truth of who God is. Remember, you serve a great and glorious God. I'll continue reading now from verse 16. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way them and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, non, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. The rebuild, it was tough, but it got even tougher. 
Nehemiah had to sacrifice half of his workforce in order to ensure that they were all adequately protected. And his workforce in turn have to sacrifice half of their capability as they use only one hand to work and the other hand to hold a weapon. Nehemiah carefully organizes and communicates, laying down an action plan to bring the people safely together if the time comes that they need to protect themselves. And Nehemiah's crew work hard from sunrise to sunset every day with half always on guard and he pulled those who lived outside of the city in to keep them safe but also to increase their overall protection. As they worked, they never took downtime. They were on alert wherever, wherever they went and they never even stopped to change or wash their clothes. Nehemiah and the Jews had to make sacrifices in order to persevere. They sacrificed their time and their safety. They sacrificed their efficiency. And they even sacrificed what we would probably say is a basic need, their hygiene. And although it's not directly listed, I can only imagine that the families of the workers sacrificed so much too, allowing their men to go out to work each day, not knowing if they would see them come home again. They sacrificed their progress and their time frame as they prioritized their safety and work slowed down. Maybe that sounds familiar to us right about now. Everyone sacrificed to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. Yet in their sacrifice, in the spaces of their lives where they gave up for the sake of the rebuild, they always knew that they still had enough. As Nehemiah reminded the people in verse 20, our God will fight for us. Lesson number three in perseverance is be prepared to make sacrifice, but know that you are never lacking. Where God has called you, he will sustain you. And remembering that means remembering that even in your weakest spaces, where you have the least or where you have given up the most, those seemingly empty spaces are the spaces in which you are most strong. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. So boast all the more about your weaknesses. Get vulnerable and get real because that is where your God will fight for you. Romans 5 verses 1 to 5 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can see this progression play out through Nehemiah in his calling as he led the Jews and they set about rebuilding the city, city wall. Nehemiah came across opposition, whether that opposition was mental attack, 
fatigue or fear or anxiety or the threat of a physical attack. There was opposition pushing in on them from all sides. Nehemiah and his team were suffering. This rebuild wasn't easy. It it wasn't simple. It was already a huge task from the get-go. And with the opposition, it just made them made it even harder. But in their suffering and their struggle, Nehemiah led the Jews to persevere. He encouraged them to pray, to remember their purpose, why they were there. He helped them to get prepared physically and mentally by arming them and also reminding them who they were called by. And he led them to make sacrifices, to give up some of their power and their efficiency, but also reminded them that where they sacrificed was where they were most strong, as God would fight for them. And as Nehemiah and his team persevered, their character grew. They became resilient to the mental attack, and they weren't afraid of the physical attacks that were threatened upon them. And as their character grew, they came to know hope, They were able to focus on God and God's calling upon their lives. They kept their heads down and they worked hard as they could because they saw the end game and they trusted that God held all things in his hands. I wonder this morning if there's somewhere in your life where you are currently facing opposition. Maybe it's an external mental or physical attack. Or maybe it's an intrapersonal attack, you against yourself. Maybe it's both. Take some time this morning to recognize and identify your opposition and then pray. Focus yourself on God and what he has called you to. Remembering that where God has called you, he will sustain you. Press into the truth of who God is, a great and glorious God. And remember that he is on your side. And when you ask, he will help to prepare you against whatever may come. And expose your weaknesses. Get vulnerable. Get real with God. Ask him where you might need to sacrifice more in order to make more room for his power to be made perfect in you because in those areas of greatest weakness are where your God will fight for you. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you are on our side. You are with us and you are for us and you will fight for us. Lord, this morning we open our hearts to you and we ask you to highlight, God, where where do we need to sacrifice some more? Where are the places that we don't have enough but are the opportunities for you, to your power to be made perfect in those spaces? God, help us to not be afraid of being vulnerable and getting real with you. Help us to remember that we never lack. There is never a deficit when it comes to you, Lord, because you 
will fight for us. Your power is made perfect in our weakness, Lord. So help us to boast all the more about the places in which we lack. Father, we thank you that you are with us and for us, that your love always is constant and it always remains. Lord, help us to persevere through these trying times that we are experiencing around the world right now. And help us to persevere, God, no matter what comes. Help us to remember who we trust. Remember the one who we serve, a great and glorious God. Thank you that you are with us always, God. And thank you that you are always for us. In Jesus' name, amen.